Welcome, everyone. This is Russ Scalzo, Chronicles of the End Times. Thank you for being with me today as we continue our study on the Battle of Armageddon. But before we get to that today, I'd like to read a little bit out of Habakkuk, prophet of the Old Testament, roughly 25 years before the Babylonian invasion and the 70-year captivity of Israel. I believe it applies to our society and some of the things we're going through today. Let's take a look. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Well, it definitely sounds like things we're going through today. It's a worldwide problem. It's not just here in the States. Those of you listening throughout the world know that people are people in every nation, no matter who they are, what they believe, what color they are, where they come from. It doesn't matter. We're all people. We're all individuals, and we all seem to fall into the same traps that the enemy sets for us. And our unhappiness is rooted in the fact that we're living without the peace of God. And that can only come through Jesus Christ and our coming to him and being born again. So at this time, Habakkuk is crying out to God. Israel has really gone down the tubes there. Violence is everywhere. They are cheating each other. There is rape, there is murders, theft. It's an awful place that Habakkuk has found himself in. So he's crying out to God, you know, how long are you going to let this go? He answers him, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you will not believe, even if you are told. And so what he's given Habakkuk a little news here, but it's not really the news that he's looking for. In the very near future, the Babylonians are going to come in and take Israel captive, destroy the temple, and take over the country. God's telling them, you know what, it's bad, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that's really what we're looking at today. God is moving among us, but things are getting worse instead of better overall. So Habakkuk goes on to say, says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk's got a real question here, one that I think many of us might have prayed to the Lord in trying to get a handle on why things aren't going the way we feel they should. So Habakkuk decides, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his rebuke. And the Lord comes back. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the hearer can run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. God's word is firm. He watches over it to perform it. And this is what we're seeing in our day. No matter what society does, no matter which way people go, 
And you hear people say, well, I don't believe in God anymore. It really doesn't mean anything. Sad to say, our opinion of God and whether he exists or God doesn't exist is irrelevant. For God is God, and he is who he is, and he rules and reigns. It's just our rebellion. That's the way that we run away from it. We run away from all restrictions because we don't want to deal with it. So we say he doesn't exist, or he is something, he or she or it, as people like to say. God could be anything. But we know who God is. God is in the Word of God. From cover to cover, it's about Jesus Christ. So in chapter 3, Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And this is who our God is. God is doing things he needs to do, things that have been prophesied from days of old. But our God is a merciful God, even in the midst of what we're studying right now. And I always like to bring that to the forefront because, yes, this ending of Revelation is brutal, but it does bring new life. And we're going to get to that, too. We're going to get to the new earth and we're going to get to the redemption of Israel and our glorified bodies and all the wonderful things God has for us. But I'm afraid we got to go through some stuff before then. So Habakkuk goes on and reminds himself of all the greatness of God. And that's what we need to do. And that's what reading the word is going to do. Show us the full measure of God as he's revealed to us in his word. So he ends with this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And how can he say that in the midst of all the trouble and the bad news that he's getting? Because he knows what God is, is God is just, and he is right. He also is assured that God is watching, and he sees all, and he's measuring all. And on top of that, the bottom line is Habakkuk belonged to God. No matter what is going on, we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are his. So I hope that helps a little bit today. If you're going through some really tough stuff, and I believe we all are at different levels. We're all going through stuff, some deeper than others, but it's still there in our face, and we need to read the Word of God and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Apostle wrote in chapter 1, he said, The Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus Christ. And that's what he was saying. The actual Word of God became flesh. So why is it important for us to read the Bible? Because it's Jesus. From cover to cover, Jesus is the Word of God. This is who he is. You want to know who he is? Want to know everything about his personality that he's revealed to us? It's in these 66 books. It's important for us to know who we're praying to. It gives us faith. It gives us courage and determination to fulfill God's will in our lives. So, let's move on. Now we're going to the Battle of Armageddon. Where are we? The armies have gathered in the plains of Megiddo. The Antichrist has set up his western forces between the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem. He's ready to go to battle. He's already done battle with the king of the south. In fact, he was in the midst of that battle down in Africa when he hears bad news. And so this is where we are now. He's moved his forces. He's planted them between the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem. China, 
Russia, and other nations. I've moved down across the Euphrates, and the battle is about to begin. Keep in mind, the only thing that keeps the world from being totally destroyed here and turned into a cinder is the coming of Jesus Christ. How long this battle will go on before Christ intervenes, no one knows. But we know that there will be great destruction. But the battle will turn from battling and fighting each other to looking up and wanting to engage the armies of heaven. As foolish as that sounds, that's what the scripture says. The deception will be so complete that they will think that they can destroy the Lord God Almighty. And what makes this war different than any other war that's ever been fought? There's always a good and evil side, right? The good may not be all that good, but every war, someone is fighting for their own freedom or to defend their country or some noble cause. But in this case, there's none of that. These armies want the earth and they want everyone else destroyed. They are inspired by demons, according to Revelation. So, in that case, it's easy for the enemy, who was in control of them, to turn all their efforts towards heaven to fight off God and his angels, the armies of God. And what's his plan? To destroy the human race, and with it, Israel, that God has made his promises to. He's been after them all through the Old Testament. Back then, it was all about the messianic seed. Now it's about the promises of God and Jesus Christ coming to rule and reign. He wants to destroy everything so there's nothing left for Jesus to rule and reign over. There's no people left. There's no seed of Israel left that he made his promises to. For even though Israel is a secular country now, God's promises are God's promises, and he will keep them. And he said he would save Israel, and that's what he's coming to do. We should all be thankful that God is so concerned about fulfilling his promises because he's made wonderful promises to us. The book of Joel describes this army that's coming, and he compares it to locusts because the army is so great and it's so complete. So we're going to read a little bit of that from the prophet Joel and get a picture out of these different prophets, how the Holy Spirit threads this all together. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor will ever be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, Behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops, like crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them the nations are in anguish, every face turns pale. They charge like warriors, they scale the walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes and the sky trembles. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty are those who obey his command. 
The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? This is quite a contrast between the hope of glory that we have in the rapture of the church when God takes his people home. He takes the bride. That is a glorious day. Two people working at their jobs, like in a mill or in the field, and one is left and one is taken. One is laying in the bed sleeping, one's taken, the other's left. That's a different atmosphere. That's a different time. This time that we're looking at now is a violent time throughout the entire world. The world has been under the tremendous wrath of God. This describes a day of judgment. And we know from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, when John asked the angel, who are these people? They were beyond numbering. And the angel said, these are those who came to the great tribulation. And so we already know that there's been a great harvest of souls during this period of time. So this is judgment day. And the Holy Spirit, through the prophet Joel, continues. He said, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let even the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit and judge the nations on every side. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the press is full, and the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And it goes on to talk about multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. There is no question that this whole piece of scripture is written about the armies of God and judgment day. We must understand that God is a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. But when that runs out, the wrath of God comes. God is just in all that he does. And here the whole world has turned on him. And Jesus is coming back not only to judge the nations, but he's coming back to restore Israel. That is a major part of the tribulation period. God is going to bring Israel to their knees so they see their Savior and their Lord. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Hadad Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. The land will mourn each clan by himself. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Wow, that's God's wish for Israel. I find it amazing that in the midst of this great battle and this destruction, we've only touched on some of the scriptures, but yet in the midst of it all, God is reaching out to Israel. God is pouring his spirit out on Israel. They see him and the grief and the sorrow that they feel is a repentive sorrow. It's unfortunate, but God has to do some dramatic things in order to win people to himself. There's an interesting scripture in Isaiah chapter 26, beginning with verse 9. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. 
O Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. The tribulation period is a magnified version of what happens to us as individuals. I realize it is of cataclysmic proportions, but if we break it down to our own lives, God intervenes in our lives. Sometimes it comes in the form of tribulation because he loves us so much. For me, it was a ride in an ambulance with some type of heart seizure at the age of 26 for God to get my attention. Did he hate me? No, he loved me. And at the time, I was living my own life and doing what I wanted to do. So he put the brakes on me. And in this world, he's going to put the brakes on. Because if he doesn't, we will continue to live as we do. This is the nature of the beast. This is who we are. Unless we're confronted with a situation, it seems like we don't deal with it. Unless God comes and stands in front of us and declares what is wrong, we don't fix it. So I pray that we will continue to seek the Lord. God moves when we pray. And though we may feel like Habakkuk, that God, I'm praying, but I don't see nothing happening, we need to rejoice in the Lord. And as bizarre as that feels to our human nature, that is what blesses God. When he looks upon us and he knows our situation, he knows our heartache, he knows our tears, he knows our frustration, but yet through it all, we look up and we go, God, I thank you for my life. I thank you that you're in my life and I trust you with my life. So let us make a conscious effort to rejoice in the Lord in all situations. This is Russ Castle for Chronicles of the End Times. I thank you so much for listening. The podcast is growing. I thank God for being a small part of what God's doing throughout the world. I thank you for all those who are listening in Africa and Germany and all of Europe, Great Britain and Canada and Australia and so many places. The Lord is good. We can count on that every day of our lives. God bless. Keep looking up. The King is coming.